The Mystery of the Ten Mummies by Fulton Ausler From Midnight Mystery Stories, February 12, 1922 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Grothman The Mystery of the Ten Mummies by Fulton Ausler when jeremiah buffum came back to hopkinsville after a trip to foreign parts he brought with him ten mummies there were astute citizens of hopkinsville who regarded these anhydrous arsent relics with deep suspicion they knew jeremiah's business and they knew jeremiah jeremiah was in the ukulele business his factory was in hopkinsville the wood from which the brown little thumpty dumps were turned grew in the forest of the grand old state of new hampshire and the wires were made in pittsburgh jeremiah took the rough elements of strings and wood and in his one-story factory evolved the ukuleles then to secure local color he shipped them to hawaii where the natives on waikiki beach wondered what on earth they were in another month or so they came back to Jeremiah with a hula hula flavor that sold them up and down this sophisticated land. Not many people knew this, but certain astute citizens of Hopkinsville were fully informed. In consequence, they were abysmally mistrustful when they learned, after some sharp detective work on the part of the curious station agent, that there were mummies in the big crates on the red painted railroad platform. Jeremiah only looked soulful and mysterious when questioned about it the inhabitants of hopkinsville were certain of one or two things either there were not genuine mummies in the packing cases or else jeremiah had some deep money-making design upon them but that was as far as the inhabitants ever got to knowing the amazing truth the days and months went on the ten packing cases after weltering in the hot New England sun and being drenched in the soulless down east rain were finally removed they were shipped to Bangor from that time on nobody in Hopkinsville ever heard of them again now I was with Jeremiah Buffum in Egypt and I know all about those ten mummies and I propose to tell all that I know here and now the silence so often and so earnestly enjoined on me by jeremiah buffon from the never-to-be-forgotten morning on the desert east of cairo until our parting at the new york dock is now to be broken believing his protestations about abominating publicity and the limelight of notoriety i held back the story but no more irrefutable evidence has driven me to this step when i learned absolutely that jeremiah buffum had in spite of all that we had learned from the old man with the two noses violated the sanctity of those vitrified tenements of clay then without much more ado i resolved to out with it i met jeremiah in cairo in the musky the old cairo to be exact where there were real bazaars and real rug merchants and where story-men still relate the Arabian Nights to fascinated natives gathered in wide circles in the cafes. One glance at Jeremiah's pudgy figure, 
his round owlish eyes and puffy red face told me much i saw him wave a fat red hand at a veiled creature and i understood much more that fellow i told myself confidently is a new england deacon who thinks he's having a devil of a time at some reckless period in his career i'll bet he was at a carnival show and paid ten cents to go to the streets of cairo tent he's never gotten over the hoochie-coochie women he saw there he's over there now looking at the real thing which as you shall see is only half the truth jeremiah was flirting but that was not the great urge which had sent him from hopkinsville to cairo that purpose i myself did not fully understand until this morning as delicately as i could i hailed him and explained some of the rudimentary ideas of barbaric chivalry he smiled a little pathetically agreed to desist and proposed walking back to the hotel with me do you know where i can buy steal or beg some mummies he asked me abruptly on the way i told him they were very difficult to secure he assured me that he had already found that out by gosh i've got to get em he wound up but when i asked him gently what he would do with the mummies after he got hold of them he set his fat little red head to one side cocked his eyes knowingly winked and chuckled and said it was a nice day if it didn't rain our acquaintance thus begun continued through various trips to famous spots and came to an altogether astounding climax of the mummies a few days before i had planned to leave cairo some of the old-timers at our hotel had been telling us of the legend of the city of burnished gold a mythological metropolis believed by many superstitious natives to exist out on the desert an ancient place made of gold that glistens so that it can be seen for miles in the glow of the evening sun an englishman in the party volunteered the information that on the desert to the east of us there was an ancient sun temple which could be seen for miles in the sun and which some people believed had given rise to the legend it is rarely visited by tourists you see he concluded because it is a wearying journey to get to it and savage bandits roam near it in fact old fellow it has even been hinted to me that this crumbling cathedral of the pagans was used as a treasure chest by the robbers any mummies in there put in jeremiah anxiously quite to our surprise the englishman said he wouldn't be at all surprised if there were it was seldom visited and mummies were often found in such places excitedly deliriously jeremiah proposed to me that we go it was not hard to persuade me my own interest in the place sprang entirely from my love of adventure and my passion for the old and the picturesque on the 17th of september jeremiah buffington and i mounted camels we were accompanied by no one except a surly guide who had been induced to go with us only by enormous bribes our destination lay three hours jogging from cairo a wearying prospect which the evident timidity of our guide did little to soothe he was afraid the bandits would cut off his head and eat it 
but we encountered no thieves throughout those dreadful hot three hours on the horizon long before we reached it we could see the temple magnificently preserved its pillars gleaming against the desert sand it was like a hymn of praise to the sun god raised by the wilderness as we approached near to it i made out that it was built much after the style of the temple of ceres at Paestum, except that its columns were not so tall and the front approach was wider and much more magnificent of course the roof had fallen in long before it was simply a shell of marble shafts with a portion of the front of the roof perilously over the entrance piled about it in picturesque profusion were great blocks that once had been part of the roof and walls it looked as if a child of giants had torn down the house and tossed the blocks like toys gosh it looks like banker bank broke up ejaculated jeremiah our guide would not mount the steps so securing the camels close by we made our way cautiously up the steps hot though it was and for all my weariness I enjoyed the place my own love for this glorious land with its marvelous history made this old temple very appealing what priests I asked myself had swung their smoking censers over these stones where now with big and profane feet trod Jeremiah Buffum his feet were big I was sure of it I turned to confirm my belief and he had disappeared if one of those mighty monoliths had opened itself and taken him in and closed again he could not have been gone more utterly more completely jeremiah buffum had vanished he was gone there was his camel rubbing its nose against my camel there was the temple the stones the sky and the desert but jeremiah buffum had vanished I stood as straight, as rigid, as silent, as one of those pillars of stone. Such was my dismay. And to my ears came a slight, distant sound, like a wail. It was Jeremiah. I was sure of that. It was Jeremiah Buffum in distress. Repeatedly I heard him call me for help. Get me out! Help! This is an awful place! Quick! Help! Get me out! thus buffum wherever he was and meanwhile i was trying to find him and presently i came upon the truth jeremiah had put his foot on some hinge or spring bolt or some kind of mechanical contrivance of ancient cleverness that held in place one of the flagstones which wasn't a flagstone at all but a trapdoor as was natural under the circumstances jeremiah had gone on down he was at the bottom of a big black hole immediately behind one of the big marble shafts i ventured as near to the hole in the floor as i dared and peered over beneath me was blackness with a musty cellar-like smell fuming up at my nose insultingly mingled with this smell was another an aroma dimly reminiscent of museums that brought back into my head stories of the days before the jewish captivity of ptolemies and pharaohs and of many legends of the nile 
Are you hurt, Buffum? I inquired. I don't know, but my God, I'm scared, he groaned back. Get me out of here. Please, get me out of here. I assured him that I would do my best, and my voice must have expressed my confidence, for a plan had already entered my mind. Going back to our camels, I jerked the nose reins from them, quickly knotted them together, and carried the line back to the hole in the floor. I'm going to drop these reins down to you, Buffum, I called. Catch hold and don't let go. I'll pull you out. My strength was quite equal to the task. Buffum grabbed those reins and held on like a drowning man, and I started to pull him up. Of a sudden, however, there was a sudden and unaccountable jerk in the line, as if I had caught something. It grew into a steady pull I could not resist. I slipped to the brink. I tried to catch myself. I missed. I went over and pitched forward into the gloom. I fell on top of Jeremiah Buffum, eleven feet under the floor of the Sun Temple. Between grunts and groans, Jeremiah cursed me for seven kinds of a fool as we got straight on our feet again. He threw the reins repeatedly up against the circle of light, high over our head, with some hazy idea, I suppose, of lassoing a monolith and climbing out that way. For myself, I did not appreciate the real danger of our situation in the keen pleasure, the romance, the adventure of our predicament. Undoubtedly, we were in one of the secret corridors of the Heliopolis. No one could tell what marvel might confront us at any moment. Look here, Buffum, I exclaimed. There's some other way out of here. There must be. Let's explore and see what we can find. Jeremiah had no time to answer. That is quite unnecessary, gentlemen. I will conduct you. Out of the black shadows behind us had come the sudden, sepulchral voice. It was a voice with a ghost-like melancholy and a gloom about it I disliked at once. Buffum's moist hand sought mine. Who in the world are you? I managed to quaver. My eyes were searching the darkness, and now, having grown more accustomed to the place, we made out a singular figure standing close to us. It was an old man with a long, tangled beard. He was attired in a very light pair of trousers, a short-waisted, exceedingly old-fashioned coat, a flowing tie, and a hat the like of which I had seen my father wear when I was a boy. He carried a walking stick. I have waited so long for someone to come, he cranked gleefully. I am so glad to have company now. Determined to make the best of the fantastic situation in which I found myself, I walked up to the patriarchal stranger, prepared to offer my hand. But one look at his face halted me with surprise. The odd fellow had two noses, one nostril in each, and one turned to each cheek. He saw, and understood my expression. From the fall, he explained dismally, thirty years ago I fell down that hole. I've never been able to get out. I am a Yale graduate. I am from Illinois. I broke my nose when I fell down that hole. It must look pretty bad, the way you look at it. 
I have never seen it. No, I'm from Illinois. I've found lots of things down here in this place, but no mirror yet. I couldn't talk to him then. I wondered if Jeremiah and I were doomed to keep him company for another thirty years. It made me dizzy just to look at him. Say, clattered in Jeremiah fearfully, what do you eat down here? Lizards. Lizards and snails and a few frogs on Sundays. I've kept track of the time since I've been down here, every day. This is the 17th of September. A Wednesday, isn't it, eh? Buffum gulped and I groaned inwardly, but the old man went on. I was a Yale graduate and a tourist, I tell you. I'm from Illinois. I fell down that hole. There's no way to get out of here. No way at all. I spent twenty years looking. The last ten years I've gotten kind of resigned to it. You gentlemen will have to stay. There's lizards and snails enough down here to feed an army, but the frogs are mine. I'm going to show you around in a minute. I certainly was glad when I saw you fall through there like I did. When the thin fellow tried to pull you out, I pulled you both down again. Come on now and let me show you around. In utter silence we followed him. What else was there to do? Dazed at the enormity of our misfortune, we let him lead us down the long, damp corridor until we came to a wide door. It opened into a majestic hall of heroic dimensions, in the center of which was the most astonishing arrangement. On the floor, in a large semicircle, were ten marble slabs. On each slab was a mummy case magnificently inlaid and decorated and the air was heavy with the perfume of spices and the low penetrating odor of that secret fluid of the ancients which held the bodies of their dead intact against all time and which itself holds its odor against the stenches and the sweet smells of ages be seated gentlemen urged our ancient friend on the floor there are no chairs down here be seated and behold there are the mortal remains the mummies gentlemen of the ten nobles of Sarat. at the mention of the word mummies i saw a feeble flutter in jeremiah's eyelids but that was all whatever had been his purpose it was now forgotten the ten nobles of Sarat, repeated the old man in the last thirty years i have put my knowledge of hieroglyphics to good purpose i have read the inscriptions of these mummy cases and i will tell you the strange story there recorded after you know all about that then you will know all the secrets of this place and we can have dinner dinner lizards from what i can gather confided the old man softly as if he were afraid the sleeping ten would overhear him these fellows lived about twenty-five hundred years ago just about i believe i can almost reproduce the language of these inscriptions they say these fellows are the biggest ten hypocrites who ever lived they were the nobles of the court of eptuba the third ruler of the third dynasty in the land of Sarat, now this desert now eptuban was a man schooled in heliopolitan philosophy 
a righteous man after the manner of his religion who viewed with severe distress the unholiness into which his frivolous lustful avaricious subjects were plunged he spent his days and nights in meditation and finally inspiration illuminated his thoughts he got an idea as we used to say in the states to his court eptuba called these ten nobles osophilius the stout leophilius the lean and their eight comrades under whose leadership marched the ten legions of the land of Surat. He confided in them his grief because the ten ancient laws laid down for the obedience of worshippers of the sun were come into dispute. And, my friends, he confided to them his scheme. In brief, it was this. He wished each of his ten nobles, whose mummies are here with us now, after all these centuries, to select one of the ancient laws and especially exemplify it he wanted each one to obey all the laws of course you quite understand that but he desired one to be noted for this another for that and so on that a living example and inspiration for each great law of the sun worshippers would be before the minds of his people to their own agreement unwise man he left the choice of laws the ten nobles went into a conference a conference which lasted long at the end of the time they emerged from the royal council chamber where they had been locked up like a jury with happy but sleepy faces osiphorus the stout was the first to speak he told king eptuba that the selections had all been agreeably made he Osiphorus the stout had elected to be the most chaste of all men The young bucks of Surat would see him in a constant exhortation against the wild women Leophilius the lean announced that he had taken for his law the one which required a son to maintain as Magnificent a household for his parents as his purse would permit Muha the morose promised never to gamble and the rest of them one by one told the delighted king the law which he would seek to uphold much happy etuba bade them depart with the injunction that they return at the end of the year and relate in council how their plan had worked but here my friends is the sad part of the story hardly had a month passed and word of the king's new organization spread through the land of Surat, but strange disturbing rumors reached the ear of the king at first he sneered at them he rubbed his fingers together as did all the samanite monarchs when peeved and again he ruminated and again inspiration came to him he summoned old herlocus the homely sleuth of the saraticus herlocus he sent forth to find out what was wrong now Herr locus was efficient in a day he was back with a strange light in his beady little eyes and triumph in his nostrils bring these nobles in here is all the hieroglyphics report him as remarking arranged in a line just as you see their mummies now before you they stood in front of the throne of eptuba there 
where the curious king waited impatiently to hear what fell from the lips of Herlocus. He did not wait long. Behold a clique of hypocrites, he announced the sleuth in a low, accusing tone. Let me be brief, O king. These men have committed no offense against the letter of your command, sir. Their scheme has the diabolical ingenuity of the tribes beyond the desert, O king. Behold them, survey them, one by one. Look at Muha, the morose. You heard him swear he would never gamble. Not he, O king. He is the worst miser in the whole land of Surat. He hoards every shekel that comes into his fingers. Gamble? Ho, ho, O king. And gaze at the tall, angular person beside him, Leophilus the lean. O king, he promised, and you heard him, to exemplify the law that requires children to care for the welfare of their parents. Sire, he has no parents. They are deader than the Dead Sea, O king. And focus now, O king, on the short, oleogenous noble Osophilus the Stout. He was a brave, worthy choice. He would be so chaste, so pure, no lascivious lass should draw him from virtue. But, O king, he's a eunuch. We were never to learn the extent of the description of the remaining seven mummies. At this interesting point in the old man's narrative, we were interrupted by a great helloing and shouting, coming, it seems, from the hole down which we had tumbled. With precipitous haste, we scrambled up from our positions on the floor and looked up inquiringly at the opening. And there, looking down at us, was our guide, squawking out a welcome stream of unintelligible Cairo gibberish. He had missed us. He had found us, and now he had found, of all impossible things, a primitive ladder among the ruins. Very gently he lowered it down, and, when it reached the bottom, Jeremiah gave me a push that almost sent me sprawling as he struggled to be the first up the ladder. I looked back. Our host, always I think of him as the man with two noses and the old-fashioned clothes was at the bottom of the ladder. "'Aren't you coming up with us?' I asked. But he shook his head mysteriously. "'If you wouldn't mind the ladder, leaving it, I would appreciate it,' he croaked. "'But just now, I couldn't leave just now.' Glad enough to be free, I stepped out. But no sooner was I out than Jeremiah, beseeching me not to go away, bounced down the ladder again and he was deep in conversation with the old man for five minutes or more. Then he came out again, with elation plain in his eyes. We left the old man his ladder, returned to our camels, and began the long journey back to Cairo. I had no idea then of the sinister project formed in the kernels of Jeremiah Buffum's mind. For my own part, my thoughts were concerned mainly with the sad fate of the man with two noses, who lived in the temple cellar, principally on lizards. I resolved to get him away from there. What was my surprise then, the next morning, to see the old fellow in the company with Jeremiah Buffum at our hotel's piazza? 
they were deep in conference i did not intrude jeremiah came running up to me and burst out in a whisper i've arranged to get those mummies from him know why he wouldn't come with us yesterday his pants were worn in the back and he was ashamed to come out yep walked clear across the desert in the moonlight last night yep oh i'm gonna take care of him all right an hour or so later it so chanced that i saw the old man with two noses with a new suit of clothing covering his old bones boarding a train for alexandria i never looked on him again he is probably a food economy expert now but jeremiah he had turned a pretty trick he secured those mummies after a little difficulty with the government and had them boxed and crated and shipped to hopkinsville where he kept them until all his other arrangements were completed for what purpose indeed stimulated by what had happened i began to study the subject of mummies i found that under certain processes these sad relics of human glory can be resolved back to elemental fluids one drop of which added to a hogshead of water gave it a greenish tinge and a laxative value here jeremiah had ten mummies enough to dope the world with his stuff i began to suspect the man who makes ukuleles and exports them to hawaii for local color i looked him up in the commercial agencies and found he was the principal stockholder in the new egyptian balsam corporation manufacturing the most popular patent medicine the country ever swallowed all america drinking the distilled perfidy of the land of surat it is too much i had to tell it the end of the mystery of the ten mummies by fulton ausler